Hey, the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails, and with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers and with available features like the panoramic moonroof. You can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. Visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. If you're like me, it's now the end of the day, and you say, "Uh uh-oh, what are we going to have for dinner? Well, here's the solution. Eating better is easy with Factors Delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes. You're going to have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Flexible for your schedule, get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries at any time. Also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. Sign up and save. We've done the math. Factor is less expensive then take out, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. What are you waiting for? Get started today and get after your goals. Head to factormeals.com slash smirconish50 and use code smirconish50 because you'll get 50% off. That's code smirconish50 at factormeals.com slash smirconish50. Get your 50% off. Hi, it's Michael Smirkanish. Welcome to Book Club with Michael Smirkanish, a collection of Michael's favorite interviews with authors from the last 30 years through today, on the air, on radio. What sets my book club apart is that I actually read the books. Book Club is now in session. Peter Singer is often described as the world's most influential philosopher. He's the Ira W. DeCamp Professor of Bioethics in the University Center for Human Values at Princeton University. He's the laureate professor at the University of Melbourne. He first became well-known internationally in 1975 with the publication of Animal Liberation. His books include How Are We to Live and now a brand new release, Ethics in the Real World, which is a collection of 82 brief essays, as he puts it, on things that matter. I should also tell you in advance of his appearance that He doesn't shy away from controversy. He has tackled subjects that include whether physicians are justified in carrying out euthanasia on severely impaired newborns, whether adult siblings' incest should be considered a crime, whether demented, aged adults should be treated with antibiotics, and whether obese individuals should be taxed for giving. This is Professor Peter Singer. Hey, Professor, thank you so much for your time. You're very welcome. I'm happy to be with you. I have marketing advice for your book. Are you ready? Yes. 
it's perfectly suited for every talk radio host in the country to have on their shelf as what we call an evergreen on those rainy days where you don't have subject matter generated from that day's headlines. You pull out one of Peter Singer's essays, take a selection of any one of the 82 and just pose the question to the audience. What do you think? That sounds great. I really hope it gets used in that way because I I do want to stimulate people to think and doing that through radio hosts is a great way to reach a lot of people. I got as far as essay number one, and I remembered something that occurred in my life. It's titled The Value of a Pale Blue Dot. And at the end of this discussion, you said this brings us back to Kant's other object of reverence and awe, the moral law within. What would beings with a completely different evolutionary origin from us, perhaps not even carbon-based life forms, think of our moral law? Professor, there was a day when I was doing Morning Drive, and I was listening to a BBC uh, broadcast on the way into the studio at 3 o'clock in the morning. And the essence of the report was that a new telescope had had been developed that would allow us to see life on far distant planets if it existed. And as I listened to the report, I wondered if, in fact, there were life on that planet, would we want it to be of a religious nature? I came on the air that day, opened the microphone, posed that question, and I couldn't stop the calls from coming in. I know your answer to the question. How would you approach that issue? If there's life on another planet, would we want them to be people based on faith? No, I believe we would not. I think we want people to be capable of of looking at evidence and reasoning clearly about it. Um, When people have beliefs based on faith, uh, it's too unpredictable what they will believe. I mean, they may be wonderful people who may think that faith leads them to do good to others, but we've seen only too tragically, in fact, it was just 15 years ago, uh, this weekend, um, what faith can lead people to do. And it's it's quite possible that if there are people on other planets based on faith with perhaps technology superior to ours, they may think that it's their duty to destroy us because we have different faiths or don't share their faith. You've debated the subject of the existence of God on a, on a number of bases, including, and you relate this in one of your essays, with Dinesh D'Souza. Yes, that's right. Um, he actually challenged me to have a debate, and I was uh, happy to take that on. Um, and we had an interesting discussion. But, you know, for me, the the insuperable obstacle, at least to the traditional uh, Judeo-Christian God, that is a God who's all-knowing, all-powerful, and still all-good, the, the insuperable objection is just that this world is not the world that a kind of being uh, of that sort would create and would maintain. There's there's too much unnecessary suffering going on, pointless suffering, undeserved suffering, even, for example, the suffering of non-human animals. If people say, well, it's all because of original sin and Adam, uh, that doesn't explain why, why non-human animals should suffer, perhaps just through dying of thirst in a, in a drought. Um, so I, I just don't see how you can reconcile the world we have in front of us with uh, the idea that there is such a God. We would seem on the verge of electing our first female president. If that takes place, the final glass ceiling here in the States will be the election of an atheist or agnostic. Do you see that taking place in the not-too-distant future? And if not, why not? 
Well, I think that it's uh, it's possible that we will get there within, uh, as you say, not too distant, maybe maybe 20 years. Um, I mean, I, I would not have said that uh, in 2000, for example, when George W. Bush was elected. It, that looks now, in hindsight, as if that was the the high point, the peaking of this uh, idea that you had to be have a faith-based president. You had to you had to be some kind of theist in order to have any chance of getting elected. I, I've seen a swing back against that over the last 16 years, and I've seen. A lot more people, a lot more millennials in particular, saying that um, yeah, you don't have to have faith. You, you don't have to believe in God. Um, you may have you know, various kinds of spiritual beliefs or, or none at all. But um, I think that the United States is perhaps now slowly edging in that direction, which uh, a lot of Europe and uh, Australia, where I'm from originally, other countries have already got to quite some time ago. Why might we want to make ourselves the last generation on Earth? Well, um, I'm not actually saying that that we ought to do that, but uh, there is a question that philosophers ask themselves about whether it's good that there should be future generations. What's, What's the value in that? A lot of people think that ethics is all about making the lives of existing beings better, but we have no obligation to bring further generations into existence, that that's completely optional. And, you know, at a, at a practical level, most people would think that a couple who, who decide not to have children, that's fine. Um, now, that might be because you think the world is already overpopulated, but some people might think that, that our obligations are limited to people who, who do exist. And... Uh, Particularly if you're a bit pessimistic about about life, if you think that uh, life on the whole has more suffering than it does happiness or pleasure, you might think that we could just have a good time ourselves, use up the resources, not have to worry about climate change and the damage it will do to future generations, and uh, all agree to sterilize ourselves. Um, as I say, that's that's not my view, but it's a view that some philosophers have defended. Am I right, Professor, that you haven't eaten meat in 40 years? Yes, that's right. Uh, I became a vegetarian when I was a, a graduate student at Oxford, a uh, little, little more than 40 years ago now. And, and that was because I, I discovered the way animals get treated to be turned into meat. Uh, you know, I had, of course, everybody knows that animals get killed uh, to be turned into meat. But I had thought that they at least have a good life before that happens. Uh, And then my eyes were opened by meeting some people who knew more about it, uh, reading a a book about the development of factory farming and taking animals indoors and off the fields. Uh, And I thought again about the ethics of how we treat animals. And I decided that I could not justify continuing to buy animals to eat the the, or the, cor- the corpses of animals to eat uh, when I when I didn't need to when I was really just doing this out of habit um, or because I like the taste and uh, it gave me no nutritional benefit uh, there are plenty of good perhaps healthier plant-based meals that you can prepare the book is titled ethics in the real world this is book club with Michael Smirconish from Sirius XM Hey, the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4. 
Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails, and with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers and with available features like the panoramic moonroof. You can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. Visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. If you're like me, it's now the end of the day, and you say, "Uh uh-oh, what are we going to have for dinner? Well, here's the solution. Eating better is easy with Factors Delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes. You're going to have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Flexible for your schedule, get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries at any time. Also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. Sign up and save. We've done the math. Factor is less expensive then take out, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. What are you waiting for? Get started today and get after your goals. Head to factormeals.com slash smirconish50 and use code smirconish50 because you'll get 50% off. That's code smirconish50 at factormeals.com slash smirconish50. Get your 50% off. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Is America's primary system working? Is the Electoral College still the best process for electing a president? Could a third-party candidate ever be successful? In a new season of You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen gather the country's top experts to explore these issues and more as we approach the 2024 presidential election. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available now wherever you get your podcasts. The Michael Smirconish Program. Listen weekdays at 9 a.m. East on POTUS, Sirius XM, Channel 124, and anytime on the Sirius XM app. I've taken to fly fishing in the last couple of years, mostly catch and release. That doesn't meet your moral code either, I imagine. Well, I imagine that it's pretty stressful for the uh, for the fish that you are catching and releasing. That, um, uh, you know, being having a hook through your mouth and uh, being hauled up on that... Uh, that that's that's going to be a, a very stressful experience. Um, having the the hook through the lip for one thing is enough, but also the fear of of being pulled in. So no, I would not favour that as an afternoon's recreation. I'm sorry to tell you that. 
By the way, I'm, I'm obviously giving the audience a little sprinkling of what they get in Ethics in the Real World, 82 Brief Essays on Things That Matter by Peter Singer. Another of your essays deals with the subject that will be here in a couple of months' time, Thanksgiving. You, as you report in this essay, you arrange the topics in your course so that issues about food and ethics arise just before Thanksgiving. I don't know how many go on to eat turkey after they hear what you have to say. Well, um, I guess some of them may because they're going home with their families and their families are probably uh, preparing the turkey already by that time. But what I want them to do is to raise that issue in conversation with the family. Maybe they'll think about it for a future year. Uh, And to tell the family one thing that that most Americans do not know, that if they're buying a a standard uh, uh, turkey of the kind that sold in the tens of millions um, for Thanksgiving, uh, that that bird was the result of artificial insemination, that those those birds are deliberately bred to have such big breasts that they cannot reproduce, and uh, that it's somebody's job to grab male turkeys, masturbate them, collect the semen, and uh, someone else's job to grab the females and inject the semen into them. And uh, I have a friend who actually took that work for a little while just to see what it was like and and found it uh, the most horrible day's work that he had ever done. Um, And because of the pressure that they're under, you know, time pressure, time is money, uh, they're very rough on on the turkeys that they're doing this to. And particularly the females uh, absolutely hate what's happening to them. I'm going to oversimplify, but your abortion analysis is is one that asks why so much uh, time and attention and emotion is spent on the fetus as compared to those women who die where abortion is outlawed by means of seeking that practice nonetheless. Yes, that's certainly one of the aspects of the question that I think everybody needs to think about, that it's it's clear that where abortion is prohibited, uh, there are women who are pregnant and desperate not to be pregnant, and they resort to all sorts of illegal backyard methods in order to end their pregnancy. And uh, that does produce fatalities. And we still see this, for example, in some parts of of South America where uh, there are strict laws against abortion. So the point being, if if life is the overarching concern, then it would change one's position, perhaps, as to whether abortion should be banned. Yes. I mean, I suppose, you know, we have to look at the nature of the life as well, I think. You're not just counting lives um, because one might argue well you'll prevent more abortions than women will die through going to backyard abortionists but I I do argue also that there is a a huge difference between the the life of a a woman uh, who is part of a web of relationships and has her plans and hopes for the future and uh, the tragedy that occurs when she dies prematurely uh, rather than a a being who is not conscious at all, has no feelings, doesn't feel pain or suffer. Uh, And for the overwhelming majority of abortions, that's the case. There are a few performed very late in the pregnancy where it's uh, possible that the fetus does suffer, and I think that that is then a much more serious issue. But uh, overwhelmingly, abortions are performed at a stage when the fetus does not have the developed brain to be capable of suffering. Has there ever been a subject that Peter Singer has found just too controversial to weigh in on? Uh, 
Well, I think there are some subjects that are very difficult and I tend not to write about very much. I think um, I don't write very much. You might have noticed about, for example, racial issues in the United States. Um, that's partly, I think, uh, because uh, coming as I do from Australia, I only came to the United States um, in my 50s. Uh, I feel something of an outsider still with that. I haven't grown up with it. I don't feel that I have the depth of experience that uh, would be necessary to, to write properly about that question. So, yeah, there, there, there are a few that I would re reject because they're too controversial, but I do, I do think that I'm not an expert on everything, and I need to recognize that. As I was reading the book, and thank you for indulging me with your time, I have just one more essay that I want to get into, but as I was reading the essays, I was saying to myself, this guy is fearless. You, you might agree, you might disagree, but his, his willingness to say things and to go in subject areas that many of which I'd never explored before intellectually, uh, I have to say is, is unique and refreshing. Well, thank you. I, I do take that as a compliment because I think that that's the role of philosophy. Uh, it is to ask awkward questions ever since Socrates walked around Athens doing that. Uh, it's to get people to think about things that they may often take for granted. If, if we haven't offended anyone in the audience who's remaining, meaning unoffended, let, let's do so now with Make-A-Wish, okay? <laughs> give, me, give me your analysis of the Bat Kid. Yes, okay. So the, for those who don't know, the, the Make-A-Wish Foundation uh, raises money to give uh, sick kids, uh, often kids with, with cancer who are dying, uh, to make their wish come true, uh, typically, say, for one day. So the example I chose was a, a, a very ill kid who wanted to be Bat Kid for a day and make a wish, made that wish come true by getting a car uh, rigged out as the Batmobile, uh, having him ride around with somebody dressed up as Batman and uh, uh, go and capture the Riddler, uh, the bad guy, and... Uh, actually, he was handed the keys of the city by the mayor of San Francisco for doing this. So it was a big thing, and I'm sure it was a, a wonderful day for the kid. But how much did that cost, and what else could have been done with that money? Uh, Make-A-Wish Foundation doesn't tell you exactly, but it says the average amount is $7,500. Well, if you go to givewell.org, which assesses charities, it will tell you that for around $3,000, you can save the life of a child um, by donating to an organization called the Against Malaria Foundation, which distributes bed nets in areas where children are dying of, of malaria. Uh, so for that amount of money, you could have actually saved two children's lives, not just given one sick child one good day. Um, and obviously, it's much better to save a child's life than it is to give a sick kid one good day without affecting the underlying illness. So um, I don't think you should give to charities like uh, Make-A-Wish. Uh, they tug on the heartstrings. They're emotionally appealing. But I think we should use our head as well. And we should say, is this organization going to do the most good of any organization with the money that I have available to donate to it? In the essay, you shared the result of a study where one group was told food shortages in Malawi are affecting more than 3 million children. A second group was shown a photograph of a seven-year-old African girl, a very particularized story, and the money that was donated overwhelmingly went to the second category and not the first. 
Exactly, and that's why the Make-A-Wish Foundation works, because it tells you about one particular child, and that has a big emotional appeal to us. Um, and as this research shows, we are more motivated by that emotional appeal than we are by the thought that I could help a lot of people. Um, so that's something that I'm trying to redress a little bit to shift the balance so that people do stop and think, how can I do the most good? How can I help the largest number of people with whatever resources I've got available to help people? Final question, and thank you again, Professor Peter Singer. Of which of these 82 essays was the most controversial? Which caused the most blowback to you? Uh, the most uh, that I get are my views about euthanasia um, because I uh, defend uh, not only physician assistance in dying, which I think is becoming a little less controversial now in this country since uh, California as well as Oregon and Washington and Vermont have legalized it, uh, but I also defend the right of parents to make the same decision for a very severely disabled infant. Um, and that oughtn't to be so controversial because doctors do withdraw treatment from very severely disabled uh, infants knowing that without life support they are going to die and, and making that decision on the basis of the prognosis of their quality of life. But when you suggest that uh, the decision shouldn't depend on whether the child needs life support to survive but on, on the judgment of whether the life is worth living and that parents should be able to make that choice uh, then I find I do get a lot of abuse. You know, that's 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 what brings the uh, abusive emails and uh, and voicemails in when I talk about that issue. T tenure was created with someone like you in mind, right? Well, I do think that it's important, yes, because obviously there can be pressure on universities, administrations to to get rid of people who uh, are, are saying things that are unpopular. And I think it's really important that universities. Uh, protect those people, give them um, the security of saying, look, you're going to be judged on the quality of your work by other experts in your field. Uh, you're not going to be judged by, for example, our alumni saying, I'm not going to donate to you as long as Peter Singer is employed at your university. I appreciate your time. The book is titled Ethics in the Real World, 82 Brief Essays on Things That Matter. The author is, is Peter Singer. Thank you, Professor. Thank you, Michael. Great talking to you. Appreciate Bye. your time. Hear more of Michael Smirconish on Sirius XM's POTUS Channel 124. Live weekdays from 9 a.m. to noon east or anytime on the Sirius XM app. Connect with Michael on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and at Smirconish.com. Book Club with Michael Smirconish. New episodes drop Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems. I'm Bill Haslam, a Republican. And I'm Phil Bredesen, a Democrat. We're former Tennessee governors, and we invite you to listen to our podcast, You Might Be Right. Join us and guests like Al Gore, Paul Ryan, Judy Woodruff, as we take on important issues facing our country. Listen and subscribe to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee.